here we are at the Horror Stories Podcast. Welcome, you wonderful, amazing person. I'm glad you're here. I'm Robert Crandall. And uh, as you know, we read listener nightmares on this show. On this episode, we have one uh, listener nightmare, and I had one. So we're going to hear both of them. Mine is real short, so I'll go first on that. It kind of goes like this. I dreamt that a snake (laughs) crawled up the pant leg of my pajamas. (laughs) It was really scary. And it was staring me in the face with its fangs. So I took a knife off the night table and I stabbed it and stabbed it and stabbed it. And that's all I remember. I woke up, I mean, I, I just, I didn't, I don't even think I woke up. I remember it later that day. And went, oh, I had a dream about a snake. Yeah, so anyway. Uh, but now we have uh, one sent in by a listener. And uh, this one is a little, uh, this is pretty creepy, actually. I want to thank, I don't know if I'm going to get the name right, it's uh, Rodion, I hope. Uh, Please forgive me. And uh, she says, uh, it goes like this, that I would be asked to get laundry from a dark upstairs closet. As I came around the curve on the steps and looked towards the tiny closet with no door, I would see a version of me running and attacking and throwing me down the stairs. This attacking version of myself was wild and feral-looking. She had knotty, long brown hair, just like me, except mine is brushed. She was dirty, and her eyes were black like mine, yet hers pulled you in like a black hole so you couldn't react or or fight back. The worst part was her smile. It let you know she was going to get you and tear you into pieces. She pounced on me before I knew it, and I always woke up, tumbling down the stairs, with her attacking me viciously. Wow! That is terrifying. I mean, I can't imagine having a dream of something that looks just like me attacking me and trying to kill me. I mean, that would really be freaky. Well, if you've had a nightmare, and I want to thank Rodion, I think the name is, I want to thank her for sending that in. And if you've had a nightmare or just some bizarre occurrence, you know, paranormal, supernatural or something, send it to my horrible dream at gmail.com. We'd like to feature it on the show. Speaking about features, our feature story is about a man who marries a woman who dies, but comes back to life. I hope you enjoy Morella 
by Edgar Allan With a feeling of deep but most singular affection, I regarded my Morella. Thrown by accident into her society many years ago, my soul, from our first meeting, burned with fires it had never known before. But the fires were not of Eros, and bitter and tormenting to my spirit was the gradual conviction that I could in no manner define their unusual meaning or regulate their vague intensity. Yet we met, and fate bound us together at the altar, and I never spoke of love or thought of passion. She, however, shunned society, and attaching herself to me alone rendered me happy. It is a happiness to wander. It is a happiness to dream. Morella's erudition was profound, as I hoped to live, her talents were of no common order. Her powers of mind were gigantic. I felt this, and in many matters became her pupil. I soon, however, found that Morella, perhaps on account of her Pressburg education, laid before me a number of those mystical writings, which are usually considered the mere dross of the early German literature. These, for whatever reasons I could not imagine, were her favorite and constant study, and that in process of time they became my own, should be attributed to the simple but effectual influence of habit and example. In all this, if I err not, my reason had little to do. My convictions, or I forget myself, were in no manner acted upon by the imagination, nor was any tincture of the mysticism which I read to be discovered, unless I am greatly mistaken, either in my deeds or in my thoughts. Feeling deeply persuaded of this, I abandoned myself more implicitly to the guidance of my wife, and entered, with a bolder spirit, into the intricacy of her studies. And then, then when poring over forbidden pages, I felt the spirit kindle within me. Would Morella place her cold hand upon my own and rake up from the ashes of a dead philosophy some low singular words whose strange meaning burnt themselves in upon my memory? And then hour after hour, I would linger by her side and dwell upon the music of her thrilling voice until at length its melody was tinged with terror and fell like a shadow upon my soul and I grew pale and shuddered inwardly at those unearthly tones and thus joy suddenly faded into horror and the most beautiful became the most hideous as Hinnom became Gehenna. It is necessary to state the exact character of these disquisitions, which, growing out of the volumes I have mentioned, formed so long a time almost the sole conversation of Morella and myself. By the learned, in what might be termed theological morality, they will be readily conceived. 
and by the unlearned, they would at all events be little understood. The wild pantheism of Fichte, the modern polygenesia of the Pythagoreans, and, above all, the doctrines of identity, as urged by Schilling, were generally the points of discussion presenting most of the beauty to the imaginative morella, the identity which is not improperly called personal. I think Mr. Locke truly defines to consist in the sameness of a rational being, and since by person we understand an intelligent essence having reason, and since there is a consciousness which always accompanies thinking, it is this which makes us all to be that which we call ourselves, thereby distinguishing us from other beings that think and giving us our personal identity. But the Principium Individuationis, the notion of that identity, which at death is or is not lost forever, was to me at all times a consideration of intense interest, not more from the mystical and exciting nature of its consequences than from the marked and agitated manner in which Morella mentioned them. But, indeed, the time has now arrived when the mystery of my wife's manner oppressed me as a spell. I could no longer bear the touch of her wan fingers, nor the low tone of her musical language, nor the luster of her melancholy eyes. And she knew all this, but did not upbraid. She seemed conscious of my weakness or my folly, and smiling, called it fate. She seemed also conscious of a cause to me unknown for the gradual alienation of my regard, but she gave no hint nor token of its nature. Yet was she woman and pined away daily. In time the crimson spot settled steadily upon the cheek and the blue veins upon the pale forehead became prominent. And one instant my nature melted into pity, but in the next I meant the glance of her meaning eyes, and then my soul sickened and became giddy with giddiness of one who gazes downward into some dreary and fathomless abyss. Shall I then say that I longed with an earnest and consuming desire for the moment of Morella's decease? I did. But the fragile spirit clung to its tenement of clay for many days, for many weeks and irksome months, till my tortured nerves obtained the mastery over my mind, and I grew furious through delay, and with the heart of a fiend cursed the days and the hours in the bitter moments which seemed to lengthen and lengthen as her gentle life declined like shadows in the dying of the day. But one autumnal evening, when the winds lay still in the heaven, Morella called me to her side. There was a dim mist over all the earth and a warm glow upon the waters and amid the rich October leaves of the forest, a rainbow from the firmament had surely fallen. As I came, she was murmuring 
in a low undertone, which trembled with fervor, the words of a Catholic hymn. Sancta Maria, turn thine eyes upon the sinner's sacrifice of fervent prayer and humble love from thy holy throne above. At morn, at noon, at twilight dim, Maria, thou hadst heard my hymn. In joy and woe, in good and ill, Mother of God, be with me still. When my hours flew gently by, and no storms were in the sky, my soul, lest it should truant be, thy love did guide to thine and thee. Now when clouds of fate o'ercast all my present and my past, let my future radiant shine with sweet hopes of thee and thine. It is a day of days, said Morella, a day of all days either to live or die. It is a fair day for the sons of earth and life. Ah, more fair for the daughters of heaven and death. I turned towards her, and she continued, I am dying, yet shall I live. Therefore for me, Morella, thy wife, Hath the charnel house no terrors, mark me, not even the terrors of the worm. The days have never been when thou could love me, but her whom in life thou didst abhor, in death thou shalt adore. Marella, I repeat that I am dying but within me is a pledge of that affection, ah, how little, which you have felt for me. Marella! And when my spirit departs, the child, thy child and mine, Marella's, but thy days shall be days of sorrow, that sorrow which is the most lasting of impressions, as the cypress is the most enduring of trees. For the hours of thy happiness are over, and joy is not gathered twice in a life, as the roses of pestum twice in a year. Thou shalt not then play the tean with time, but being ignorant of the myrtle and the vine, thou shalt bear about with thee thy shroud on the earth, like the Muslimine at Mecca. Morella! I cried, Morella, how knowest thou this? But she turned away her face upon the pillow, and a slight tremor coming over her limbs. She thus died. I heard her voice no more. Yet, as she foretold her child, to which in dying she had given birth, and which breathed not till the mother breathed no more, her child, a daughter, lived, and she grew strangely in size and intellect, and was the perfect resemblance of her who had departed, and I loved her, with a love more fervent and more intense than I believed it possible to feel on earth. But ere long the heaven of this pure affection became overcast, and the gloom, and the horror, and grief, came over it in clouds, 
I said the child grew strangely in stature and intelligence. Strange indeed was her rapid increase in bodily size. But terrible, oh terrible, were the tumultuous thoughts which crowded upon me while watching the development of her mental being. Could it be otherwise, when I daily discovered in the conceptions of the child the adult powers and faculties of the woman, when the lessons of experience fell from the lips of infancy, when the wisdom or the passions of maturity I found hourly gleaming from its full and speculative eye? When, I say, all this became evident to my appalled senses, when I could no longer hide it from my soul, nor throw it off from those perceptions which trembled to receive it, is it to be wondered at that suspicions of a nature fearful and exciting crept in upon my spirit, or that my thoughts fell back aghast upon the wild tales and thrilling theories of the entombed Morella? I snatched from the scrutiny of the world a being whom destiny compelled me to adore, and in the rigid seclusion of my ancestral home I watched with an agonizing anxiety over all which concerned my daughter. And as years rolled away, and daily I gazed upon her elegant and mild and holy face and poured over her maturing form, did I discover new points of resemblance in the child to her mother, and the melancholy and the dead. And hourly grew darker these shadows, as it were of similitude, and became more full and more definite and more perplexing, and to me more terrible in their aspect, for that her smile was like her mother's I could bear. But then I shuddered as its too perfect identity, that her eyes were like Marella's own I could endure. But then they looked down too often into the depths of my soul with Marella's intense and bewildering meaning, and in the contour of the high forehead, and in the ringlets of the silken hair, and in the wan fingers which buried themselves therein, and the musical tones of her speech, and above all, oh, above all, in the phrases and expressions of the dead, on the lips of the loved and the living, I found food for consuming thought and horror, for a worm that would not die. Thus passed two lustrums of her life. Yet my daughter remained nameless upon the earth. My child and my love were the designations usually prompted by a father's affection, and the rigid seclusion of her days precluded all other intercourse. Morella's name died with her at her death. Of the mother, I had never spoken to the daughter. It was impossible to speak. Indeed, during the brief period of her existence, the latter had received no impressions from the outward world, but such as might have been afforded by the narrow limits of her privacy. But at length, the ceremony of baptism presented to my mind, in its unnerved and agitated condition, a present deliverance from the horrors of my destiny.
and at the baptismal font I hesitated for a name. In many titles of the wise and beautiful, of antique and modern times, of my own and foreign lands, came thronging to my lips, in many, many fair titles, of the gentle and the happy and the good. What prompted me then to disturb the memory of the buried dead? What demon urged me to breathe that sound, which in its very recollection was wont to make ebb and flow the purple blood in tides from the temples to the heart? What fiend spoke from the recesses of my soul, when amid those dim aisles and in the silence of the night I shrieked within the ears of the holy man the syllables, Marella? What more than fiend convulsed the features of my child and overspread them with the hues of death, as starting at the sound she turned her glassy eyes from the earth to heaven and falling prostrate upon the black slabs of our ancestral vault, responded, I am here. Distinct, coldly, calmly distinct, like the knell of death, horrible, horrible death, sank the eternal sounds within my soul. Years, years may roll away, but the memory of that epoch, Never. Now I was indeed ignorant of the flowers and the vine, but the hemlock and the cypress overshadowed me night and day, and I kept no reckoning of time or place, and the stars of my fate faded from heaven, and therefore my spirit grew dark, and the figures of the earth passed by me like flitting shadows, and among them all I beheld only Marella. The winds of the firmament breathed but one sound within my ears, and the ripples upon the sea murmured evermore, Marella. But she died, and with my own hands I bore her to the tomb, and I laughed with a long and bitter laugh as I found no traces of the first in the charnel where I laid the second Marella. You've been listening to Marella by Edgar Allan Poe, who once said, I became insane with long intervals of horrible sanity. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If so, please invite a friend. I've enjoyed being with you, and I hope to be with you again soon. Please be well, and thank you for listening to me.